Hey everyone, I'd like to welcome you to the second installment of The Greatest Generation. I'm your host, Aaron Weisler. This is a podcast series built around the stories of yesteryear as told by the very people who lived through them. In this installment, we are speaking with Annie Freed. Mrs. Freed was born in 1930 in Brooklyn, New York, and it's a fascinating story to share. Now, without further ado, an uninterrupted conversation with Annie Freed on The Greatest Generation. So, can you tell me a little, little bit about yourself? Okay, well, it's not very exciting. All right, I was born really at the height of the Depression, mm-hmm. 1930. Mm-hmm. And my parents, of course, were immigrants. So, uh, my father came from Warsaw, Poland. Mm-hmm. My mother came from Austria, Poland, mm-hmm. from a town called Chemish mm-hmm. that used to go from Austria to Russia, to mm-hmm. Poland, to Russia. And, you know, so they were both here, and, and so that's when I was born. <clears throat> and so, of course, we did not have money. Mm-hmm. We were poor. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's pretty much the way it began. Uh, <clears throat> I grew up in Brooklyn mm-hmm. uh, in a fourth-floor walk-up, mm-hmm. okay. two-bedroom. When I see kids today, they have to, they need a $400,000 house mm-hmm. to get married, yeah. to, you know. I didn't grow up that way, mm-hmm. and uh, probably had my father had sons, I had mm-hmm. one sister, mm-hmm. probably had my father had sons, I probably would not even gone to college, mm-hmm. because in those days, it was a very different world, you know, mm-hmm. girls, you mm-hmm. know, girls were supposed to grow up, get married, and mm-hmm. the boy was going to make a living, so the boy was the one you invested in, mm-hmm. but I went to Hunter College. Mm-hmm. At that time, Hunter College was pretty much free. Mm-hmm. You know, you had, to, you had to have good grades to right. get in. Mm-hmm. But my college was $10 a year. <laughs> and that included books. Now, we didn't own the books. Mm-hmm. We kind of rented the books and gave them back at the end of the mm-hmm. semester. Right. But that was the cost of my college education. Mm-hmm. And uh, I majored, oh, I hate to tell you this, I majored in music. Mm-hmm. and in education, mm-hmm. because my mother, who knew what it was to have a very hard life, mm-hmm. uh, she used to do piecework in the garment industry, and she'd mm-hmm. come home with bloody fingers and scrub clothes on a washboard. She she felt that a woman should have a, mm-hmm. a career. And in those days, teachers were looked up to. In those days, teachers were going to Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had a, she said you had a steady job. Right. And if you had children, you would come home when your children came. So she wasn't that dumb. But I had no interest in being a music major. Right. I have no talent, for one. And, but my father paid $3 a lesson, which was a hardship. So I had to be a music major. So I wanted to be a science major. But in those days, when Daddy said, you did. Right. Uh, It Mm -hmm. was a very different world. Mm -hmm. So I went to Hunter College. I wanted to take Hebrew as my second language. Mm -hmm. And this is a long story because you had to to play the piano to be Mm -hmm. accepted into the music community. Right. And I did not want to be accepted. So I got up and I started to play Claire de Lune. And I got up in the middle of it mm-hmm. and walked off the stage. And I said, oh, good. They won't take me. 
they did take me. Wow. And because they did, I had to do German. Mm-hmm. Now you have to realize this was 1948. Mm-hmm. So it was not that long after the war. Right. I did not want to take Germany. Mm-hmm. So my attitude was I will take it, but I won't learn it. <laughs> oh, my mother used to sit on the bathtub mm-hmm. and she used to read me Minna von Bonhelm because she spoke German fluently right. mm-hmm. while I was curling my hair. And I had a good mind, so I could memorize it. Mm-hmm. And I remember one semester. Uh, the teacher reading out the failures mm-hmm. at the midterm, and she read them, and she said, oh, and I would love to fail Miss Broker, but I can't. That was my maiden name, mm-hmm. because I could learn very fast, so I would study before the exam, and then I would immediately forget it, you know. But so that was the story of my college. And, um, of course, I met my husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was 18. Okay. And... Uh, got married and fulfilled the the anachis to your parents. Mm-hmm. So I was 18. And really, from the time that I got married, I went from being my father's daughter to my husband's wife. And really, I think, gave up my own identity. I don't think I had an identity. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was where your husband went, you go. And... Uh, my husband was a very interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max told me all about him. Max might have told you. Mm-hmm. So, so he, of course, first of all, he was very involved with Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was running guns and packing guns mm-hmm. before the state. Wow. The Holocaust, you've got to realize mm-hmm. where this was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Holocaust had a tremendous effect on him, of course. Uh, The funny thing, I grew up in a completely Jewish neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was one Italian boy in my class. I thought the whole world was Jewish. Mm -hmm. I knew all the Christmas carols. But in those days, they didn't have day school like they have today. Mm -hmm. And parents were poor. So naturally, if I was a boy, I would have gone to Cheder after school and had a bar mitzvah. But as a girl, I grew up really with nothing, except that my father was kind of nationalistic. Mm -hmm. Um, My father grew up, Mm -hmm. was one of those Jewish children that was kidnapped by the Russians. Are you familiar with that? Um, No, I don't think so. The Russians used to kidnap Jewish children when they were small Mm -hmm. and treat them not very well, but keep them in the Russian army. For years and years and years. My father's father, that would be my grandfather, Mm -hmm. was one of those children. And, of course, when he got out of the Russian army, he knew, I don't know very much about my grandfather. Mm -hmm. You know, Hitler did a good job. Mm -hmm. Uh, He knew that he was Jewish. And evidently, he became quite from, Mm -hmm. you know, this was in Warsaw, Poland, in the ghetto. And my father was brought up, you know, the, the you go to Qaeda, he'd say, if you'd ask a question, mm-hmm. you'd get a smack in the mouth, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Very, very poor. I think my grandmother had 13 children. I think only six mm-hmm. grew up to thing. Right. Uh, my father 
ran, his brother was in the Polish army. That's a story in itself. My father ran from Poland mm -hmm. uh, to not get into the Polish army. Right. And, uh, you know, there were pogroms. And I'll tell you a story. There was a pogrom, and my father's father took an axe and killed a pogromnik. And after that, there was not a pogrom in Metz. Mm -hmm. And he, and I don't know the hows or when, because, you know, the truth of the matter, my family tree ends mm -hmm. right. right there. Mm -hmm. He ran to Paris. He went into the jewelry business, and he became wealthy. Mm -hmm. And he became very French. Okay. So my father ran to France. Mm -hmm. um, again, I don't know the whole thing, but he ended up in America. Now, it's funny, because when I went to ellisisland.com, mm -hmm. I found the manifest from my mother, mm -hmm. but never a manifest from my father. So my father, and I only found this out much later, my father jumped ship someplace along the line. And he had to answer certain questions to somehow get mm -hmm. into the state. The guy who was the interpreter for him spoke to him in Yiddish and mm -hmm. said, don't worry, I'm Jewish. I will tell you what to say. So that was the story of that. And then, of course, you know, my father worked in a sweatshop. He brought over all his... All mm -hmm. his okay. So that was my father's side. Okay. My mother was very beautiful. She yeah. was gorgeous as a young girl. And her life in Shemesh, I think she was somewhat assimilated. I think that she even went to Catholic school mm -hmm. because Catholic school was like public school. Right. Mm -hmm. Because several... She would talk about the nuns... Um, and I know her brother did too. So, but she never discussed that. Mm -hmm. The funny thing is about our parents, I don't know, you know, what your grandparents are. They, they never discussed Europe. And you would ask questions yeah. and they would avoid the answers. That mm -hmm. was the story of my life. Okay, but my mother had a very nice childhood. Mm -hmm. Her father was an interior decorator. And he used to go to Vienna and actually worked in the homes of the nobility. Wow. And I know that they had, her mother was kind of elegant, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And my mother would say her father would bring her pretty dresses. Mm -hmm. And that was her life. Okay, then came World War One, mm -hmm. And I watched the movie Dr. Zhivago with my mother. Mm -hmm. And she said, that was my life. So she remembers her mother sewing mm -hmm. money. Like, okay. Right. So, um. Right after the war, there was that big flu epidemic. Right. And within a three-week period, she lost her mother and her sister. So that her life did a 180-degree turn. And she was supposed to go to gymnasium, supposed to do this. It all changed. So it must have taken a, a toll on her. I never knew. Mm -hmm. Her father remarried. My mother never got along with that stepmother. Mm -hmm. My mother was one of these little Victorian ladies, you know, with mm -hmm. the white gloves, with the little hat. Right. What will people say? How do you do? That was my mother. Mm -hmm. What made my mother, mm -hmm. all by herself, mm -hmm. come steerage class to this country? I never knew. I never found out. 
I knew that at some point she had a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. I asked her one time what happened to the boyfriend, and she said to me, well, you know, I no longer had a family. I no longer had a dowry. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing I ever knew, and that was the only thing I ever heard about. So that was that. So that's my parents. Mm -hmm. So where were we? Now I'm getting back to my husband. <laughs> okay. So the Holocaust, of course, had a tremendous effect on him. He was very involved with Beitar, you know, and uh, the Menachem Begin group. And as a teenager, on the East River, there was a huge warehouse. Of course, there was a big sign, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. In that warehouse, mm -hmm. they were packing guns for Israel, which was not yet Israel. Right. They were packing it in, in like fruit cans and vegetable cans. And the interesting thing is, O'Dwyer was the mayor of New York at that time. Mm -hmm. At that time, remember, the Irish hated the British. Right. Therefore, the Irish were sympathetic at that time to the Jews. They've since mm -hmm. changed. Yep. But at that time, they were sympathetic anything against the British. Mm -hmm. So O'Dwyer and his brother was very influential. Mm -hmm. They looked the other way. Mm -hmm. They knew what was going on. So that's the story of that. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, my husband's dream was always to go to Israel. Because he felt that the only place a Jew could live a normal life mm -hmm. was in Israel. I couldn't have cared less. And to me, it was something in one ear and out the other. You know, right. that's that right. was his dream. Yeah, 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 fine. Mm -hmm. And I figured, you know, I'll just do my thing <laughs> and he'll forget about it. Mm -hmm. And so the other thing he wanted to do, of course, was be a medical doctor. So you've got to realize in those days, it wasn't a lot. First of all, if you were Jewish, you know, there were, you know the blacks talk about quotas. Well, let me tell you, there were quotas. Mm -hmm. And... Um, in fact, if you went up Route 17 in New York State at that time, like mm -hmm. to go to the mountains, which was right. a big trip at that time, mm -hmm. there was a big sign on Tuxedo, New York, right up front. Mm -hmm. No Jews, no blacks, no dogs. Mm -hmm. And if you looked in the paper in the classified section for, for where to live, mm -hmm. if it would say near churches, you would know, don't even go there. Right. Mm -hmm. If it was Jewish friendly, they would say near synagogues. So that, uh, I, we met, of course, we fell in love and, mm -hmm. and wanted to get married. Mm -hmm. At that time, there was a big polio epidemic. You know, this mm -hmm. was again. And uh, Milton, of course, was super brilliant, super brilliant. But I don't know if Max ever told you about him. Uh, what he was interested in me, I never quite figured mm -hmm. out. But he was given a scholarship by the Polio Foundation. He wanted to get married, even though right, he, yeah. So he mm -hmm. was given a scholarship by the Polio Foundation mm -hmm. to get his master's degree. And he was one, one of the first people that mm -hmm. got a degree in physical medicine. Mm -hmm. And remember, that's when that field was just beginning. Mm. It was right after the war. It was right after the polio epidemic. And he was one of the first into that. So... But he wanted, so so he was a physical therapist, 
And in those days, physical therapy was very different from the way it is today. You couldn't practice unless you got a formal prescription, like from a medical doctor. Oh. Because physical therapy had no right. You had no rights. Right. You were an employee. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Milton, who had much bigger ideas, we did not have the money. He, he could have gone to medical school. We didn't have the money to do it. So, you know, what, what would you do? Right. So, he was in physical therapy. He got a job. I got a good job in in New Jersey, and he got a job as the director of this cerebral palsy clinic. In those days, for the whole year, I got paid twenty five hundred dollars. I'm dating myself. He, as the director of the medical clinic, paid thirty three hundred dollars. So times were very different. So we moved to New Jersey. And one day he was in a, you know, one of these cerebral palsy things, and an orthopedist uh, was examining him. And Milton would say they really didn't know what to do. They 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 were doing very bad things with, you know, with the cerebral palsy people, uh, surgeries that weren't helping. And, and and one day Milton was there, and there was a woman there with a cerebral palsy child, and the orthopedist said to her. Oh, he's doing much, much better. Uh, you know, and the mother said, I'm taking him to a chiropractor. And he's the guy got a chiropractor at that time in New York, it was illegal. Mm-hmm. You'd get arrested practicing chiropractic in New York because they, they said you were practicing medicine without a license. I'm talking about a different world. Right. This yeah. is a different mm-hmm. world. Yeah. So Milton thought chiropractor, he would then have the right. Um, to take patients on his own. Mm-hmm. So while he was working full-time mm-hmm. in Red Bank, New Jersey, and there was no Jersey Turnpike in those days. Oh. There was no Jersey, and he used to commute. And you got to realize how, how much he wanted it because he would commute to New York mm-hmm. to go to school after work. And he would come back like 2, 3 in the morning, you know, Meantime, I had a job where I had to teach school, and I was on an early shift, so I would leave at 6 in the morning. But that, okay. So anyhow, then I became pregnant with with Emily, Mm -hmm. and uh, we moved up to Fort Lee, New Jersey, so he would be closer to school. Is Emily your youngest? Emily's my oldest. Oh, okay. Max is the youngest. Okay. So, So we moved to Fort Lee, New Jersey, and so it's a long story. He finished chiropractic, and... um, he started practicing. Milton had a talent, uh, a lot like a lot like Max in, in some ways, and uh, so he opened up this chiropractic practice. And uh, this is an interesting thing. He got the idea to open up something called the Homestead Institute, because in those days. Again, I'm saying physical therapy, it was all very different. He got the idea to go into people's homes to do therapy. Right. And uh, there was a newspaper uh, interviewer, Mm -hmm. a reporter, Mm -hmm. who somehow, I don't know how she heard of him, but she was going to interview him. And evidently he knocked the socks off her because she, she, did a full page center section 
of the Bergen, what was it called, the Bergen News or something at the time? Yes. Okay, now yeah. it just so happens that that weekend, mm -hmm. the New York papers went on strike. And this Bergen News, which usually had a circulate, right. mm -hmm. suddenly, you know, and, and suddenly we were flooded. And that was the beginning of our trick. Okay. But Milton, I told you, he was not happy. Okay, he was not happy. He, he was now a chiropractor, and he was practicing in New York State because we moved over the line. And he was not happy still. He really wanted to be a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. And uh, he would, and I worked with him in his office, and he would, Milton was not the easiest person to live with, partly because he was a super brain, and partly, well, he was just Milton. And uh, we found out, again, this was right after the war, mm -hmm. that several of the people that he knew were going off to Europe to medical school. Right after the war, the dollar was king. And you could go to Europe and get by comparatively inexpensively, whereas in the States, to go to medical school was very expensive. So I remember one day he was giving me a hard time, and I just walked out of his office. And in those days, I could do things that I can't do today. I, I went to see the superintendent of schools mm -hmm. in that area. Right. He hired me on the spot. And uh, I came home and I said to him, you know what? He, his friend had gone off to Switzerland, another one had gone off. I said, you know what? You want to be a medical doctor? You go be a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. And if you don't go, I never want to hear about it again. So he told me to use crude language. He said, well, basically, I said to him, either shit or get off the pot. Okay. So that was a whole big thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, he went off to Germany. He went off to Germany, one, because he sort of spoke German. He thought he spoke German better than he acted. But he, okay, so he spoke German. And the other reason was he was drawn to Germany. This was after the war. Um, yeah, Israel was already, this was, this was 19, this was 1950. 859. Okay. okay. Yeah. And he was drawn, Israel was in existence, mm -hmm. and um, he was drawn to Germany. What happened? What really happened, like in Germany? And of course, he was accepted. Now, in Germany, and I don't know about the other countries, it's very different from the United States. Mm -hmm. If you get an acceptance to a German school, you are accepted to all German schools. You get something oh, okay. called the Studentenbuch, mm -hmm. and you can be accepted in Frankfurt, but you could then go to Heidelberg, you could go here. That's the way the system was. Mm -hmm. And the system was also that they don't go to classes like, like here and give you a, a, a report card, basically. Mm -hmm. But they have like the, the pre thing, and then they have the, the clinic thing, and you don't, you don't take an exam until you're all through and then you take a public exam. Yeah, much different than this here. Much different from here. Okay, so so the thinking was, oh boy, the U.S. Army was in Germany. Mm -hmm. So he would go to Germany. I would teach in an American school in Germany. Mm -hmm. That was the plan. What we didn't know 
was. And we had two children at that time. We had Emily and Linda. Mm -hmm. What we didn't know was the Army did not hire married women at this end. Mm -hmm. And if we were over there, I was the bottom of the total pole because, first of all, if they did hire, they would hire the wives of servicemen. And down, down, down. And then, okay. So, I, meantime, I'll tell you, Germany, I was very, very peculiar in Germany because we did a lot with the PX and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But I hated Germany with such a passion. I would go into the German store, and in German I say, does anybody here speak English? Because I wouldn't even speak to them. And my two little girls were very beautiful. They were both pretty little girls. Mm -hmm. And the Germans, especially my Linda, was she's very dark. Mm -hmm. You know, Linda looks like Max. Max looks like Linda. Mm -hmm. They both look like my husband. Mm -hmm. um, Linda was very dark, eyes like that. Black, black, black hair. That coloring in Germany was extremely exotic. And and wherever the two little the Germans would go, God be shame. And they'd give them chocolate. And I would say, Don't touch my children. Keep your hands off my children. How many did you kill? And I couldn't get over it. And I remember one night we were in a pension, and I don't remember where. And I I just thought, oh boy. The walls are screaming at me. It was a horrible night. Mm -hmm. We found out the Jews were hiding there in the German, and, you know. So this, this, so my, and but the Germans loved us, and I hated. It. And anyhow, so so the Germany somehow was not working out. And uh, oh, I know what it was. I went to Heidelberg to get a job, and the principal liked me. And she said she did not have a job then, but she hoped she would have a job. And we left it at that. Meantime, uh, the Germany wasn't working out. And I was thinking, you know what? We got this one down. Now let's get the Israel thing. And I said, okay, now you want to go to Israel? Let's go to Israel. So... We had a little Fiat at the time, and we drove from Frankfurt, Germany, down to Marseille. That was a story in itself. In Marseille, we got on a ship called the Theater Herzl. So this is an Israeli ship. Right. Theater Herzl, we get on the, the ship, mm -hmm. and all is well. And all of a sudden, we, we make like one or two stops, and suddenly, there's all these people on the ship in ragged clothing, uh, certainly not the kind of people you'd want to see on a, on a path. And I my husband was even very moved. The Jews, we don't have any class. They don't have any class. What's wrong with you? <laughs> what we found out, and Milton felt like two cents waiting for change, mm -hmm. Romania suddenly opened up and let out 600,000 Jews. And this there Herzl ship, with no questions asked, just took all these penniless people, not 600,000, right. but all these penniless, now what other country would do that? Okay, Can't all these all these penniless people on ship, my husband, oh God, did he feel ashamed? <laughs> Anyhow, and I remember the Sachnut, do you know what the Sachnut was? You're I think so. Okay, but that's a Jewish agency. Okay. And you remember at that time, Suddenly, there was this influx of people from the Sephardic countries, mm -hmm. 
you know, there were, and Israel was dirt poor. And suddenly this tremendous, and Israel didn't know what to do with it. You know, after 48, when, when the, all the Arabs attacked, mm -hmm. the Arab leaders were saying, run away, run away, because we will throw these people into the sea and you will come back and we'll get everything they built. Mm -hmm. Of course, it didn't happen that way. And then the idea was to take those Palestinians. There was never a country called, there was never a people right. called Palestinians. Okay, yeah. they would take the Palestinians because at that time the Sephardic, the Sephardic people that were throwing out, there were about the same number of Jews that were thrown out of the Arab countries that were the same number of Palestinians that had run away from Israel. And the thinking at that time was that Israel was going to settle those people and the Palestinians would be settled in places like Saudi Arabia and places where they had a lot of space right. and not a lot of population. Mm -hmm. That was the original thinking of the UN. But then some clever, some clever Arab, I don't got the idea, hey, we can use this, we can use this for political purposes. So that's when they set up these, these um, camps right. where they kept these people in terrible breeding yeah. hate and hate and hate and hate yeah. and have used it successfully or and now of course there's the palestinian people right. and they need to have israel because right. you know mm -hmm. anyhow so that's that's that side so when we were on the ship the south nut had learned a little bit about the best way to handle these people so they actually sent people from the south nut onto the ship because they had learned that if they had advance notice, they could say, you know, you go here, uh, you'll fit better here, you'll fit better there. So they sent people onto the ship, and they spoke to us, and they said, you know, you don't have a lot of money, but the best thing for you uh, is to go to a kibbutz. Because they said you can you can get acclimated there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you it's great for acclimation. Okay, so... This is they're supposed, you know. It's probably okay. shark crazy. Okay, so but when we're pulling into Haifa, mm -hmm. and you got to realize Israel has nothing. I remember we passed Venice, and there was this big American. Oh, I want to go home. Okay, but then we came into Haifa, and this I have never forgotten it, because there were people coming out in little boats, saying, "Who lived?" Who, who's left? People coming out looking for relatives, looking. And I'm just saying, you know. Okay, so then we get into Haifa, mm -hmm. and uh, things are coming more orderly, just orderly. The porter would not take a tip. The lady at the kiosk insisted on giving my little girls chocolate milk, wouldn't take money. That was Israel in 1959, Israel that had nothing but people. They had nothing but people. Yeah. And I remember the in the middle of the night, this truck came out, and we didn't realize the guy who came out for us was the head of the kibbutz. Mm -hmm. And you gotta realize, here's me with long earrings, and you know, and he looks at Milton, he says, oh, Milton, Milton, welcome, welcome. He looks at my beautiful little girls, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous little girl, and he looks at me, and he says, oh, Hana, 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 a Gordonic you will never be. Do you know what Gordonic is? Well, that was the one who was the pusher of the kibbutz. A Gordonic you will never be. And, uh, and anyhow, so 
they sent us to a kibbutz called Magan Michael. Mm-hmm. Magan Michael at the time was extremely poor. Mm-hmm. It was a young kibbutz. And it was an Achdud Avodah kibbutz, a leftist. And, uh, of course, <laughs> and uh, they wanted to start a fleet mm-hmm. that would go out into the Mediterranean, like fishing and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was the beginning of that. That was 1959. And uh, it was very, very poor. And uh, they were struggling. Now, this is the story. We had a suitcase. We had this little theater. We had a suitcase that had, you know, like I had a, a travel iron, you know, which you really mm-hmm. use with a mm-hmm. And the suitcase fell off our car. And the suitcase was gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had reported it. And I thought, well, you know, bye-bye. It's gone. I mean... You know, well, the funny thing is, a couple of weeks, I I got a call from the chief of police in Tel Aviv, and and one of the kibbutz guys went with me, and he's giving me my suitcase. And he says, what they actually did is they they went to our New York address to try to find us, and they somehow then found us Mm -hmm. on the kibbutz. And the chief of police said to me, in America, you have a lot of things. In Israel, we have people that return suitcases. I have never forgotten that. That's never forgotten that. It's not that way now. Mm, it's no, not that way now. Unfortunately. But that's the way it was. And, uh, okay, so that's the long story there. Milton and I were not getting along. I was not a kibbutzman, and I really wanted to go home. I had a very difficult time with my little girls being in a children's home. It was not my style. Doing it, I was. I used to take my little girls, and I I used to be dressing them. And on the kibbutz, they used to call them the little Jewish American princesses. I hate to tell you this. Um, so so I was. Milton and I had a tremendous fight one night. Oh, am I telling you stories? Um, and uh, I remember. I think it was Friday night. It was a Friday night, and uh, he went to the dining room. And you got to realize, in those days, too, you know, they had the hot ochel, everybody ate. They had big cattle. And people didn't have manners. You know, the women, the, nobody wore makeup, nobody did. And, and, and it was, you know, a lot of these people were from, from middle, you, you know, they, 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 they were not. And I was angry at my husband. In those days, I could do this. Now I couldn't. And I went into the dining room. And I was wearing makeup. And I was wearing long earrings. And I was wearing a dress. In those days, I had very good figure. And I was wearing a dress and high heels. I'm almost ashamed to tell you this. Walked into the dining room. And he looked at me. And if my husband could have killed me, at that moment, I'd be dead. I mean, can you, you got to get the picture here. Nobody is, nobody is dressed, nobody, everybody, everybody's grabbing for food, you know, and and suddenly, in comes this ridiculous creature, not dressed, you know, not like, Mm -hmm. but by their standards, Mm -hmm. you know, and this was the amazing thing. I sat down at the table, and suddenly the men, would, would you please pass this? Would you please pass that? And I thought to myself, you know, son of a gun, 
kibbutz, kibbutz. When a lady acts like a lady, I don't care what country, the men act like gentlemen. And that was just a funny experience. But anyhow, so we didn't stay. We didn't stay in Israel. We came back. And uh, we went we went from Israel to Oregon because Oregon in those days had a good chiropractic law. Okay. So Milton felt he could practice okay. But the year passed, and uh, we were in Portland, Oregon, because Milton was teaching in their school, and the climate in Oregon was terrible. Uh, Emily had walking pneumonia the whole year, and Milton also very allergic, very sick, and I knew that he really wanted to go to medical school. He, he thought maybe he should go to law school instead uh, because it would have been much easier. And to show you Milton, he went to take the LSAT with no preparation. Mm -hmm. He had a migraine headache at the time. He scored higher than anybody ever scored on their LSAT. Wow. He was accepted on the spot, hoping that he would go because I already had gotten a job teaching in Portland, and mm -hmm. I thought it would be very easy. I could move to Salem and get a job. Mm -hmm. But I knew that he really wanted to be the medical doctor. Mm -hmm. So when all was said and done, he picked up and went back this time to Austria because it was all kind of like the same. So he went back to Innsbruck, Austria, and started school there, and then... The kids and I met him, mm -hmm. and uh, we were there, and uh, that has its own history. Uh, it's funny, my little Emily went, to, we lived in a little town called Mutis, mm -hmm. and Emily has Milton's brain. Um, Emily went to German school. You know, German school was basically like Catholic school. Right. Mm -hmm. So she came in the first day, and she said, they went like this. I went like this. They said, Hail Mary. I said the Shema. And so that was Emily. Mm -hmm. Emily later told me, you know, when the priest used to call you, she said, you were in big trouble. I had spoken to the priest, and I said, we are not Catholic. I didn't tell him we are Jewish. I didn't tell him, but he must have figured it out. Mm -hmm. uh, and she said one day she got called from the pri by the priest, and she was scared stiff because that meant you were in trouble. And she says he was so nice to her. He says she said he knew. You know, thinking back, she was a little girl. She says she he knew that I was Jewish, and he spoke to her. She says a lot from the Old Testament, and there was no you know. In fact, Emily is interesting because Emily said. That had an effect on her that was a lifelong effect. Because she says, you know, you know, we won't go into a church. She says she never felt that way. You know, she she was certainly very Jewish. Emily has become a rabbi. She, but but she says she always felt. She never felt the way some people feel about, it, you know, so that now Linda on the other hand went to school at the same time with her little dark exotic look. Mm -hmm. All the kids got around her, and she got soaked. She never went back. She was not going back. That was the end of it. But anyhow, meantime, I became pregnant with Debbie, mm -hmm. and I have terrible pregnancies. My pregnancy, how I have five kids, I'm either nuts or something. 
Um, and uh, here I was in Innsbruck, and uh, I was not really getting along with my, there was too much tension. Mm -hmm. And I just decided that I was not going to have a baby on German soil. No way. So yeah. at some point, I just picked myself up and came back to the States. And his family had now moved to San Diego. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I was going to have to work. And I knew that New York and California mm -hmm. paid the best, mm -hmm. which was like 4000 a year. And so I, I, decided, I came back to New York and just couldn't stay there. Mm -hmm. The little school that I had gone to which was a little middle-class Jewish school, basically, was completely black. The whole neighborhood was completely black. And the bus, the police had to stay at the bus stop. And I remember I used to put my little girls on the, the line, take them off the line, because I didn't know. And I knew my parents worked. I knew that they could not really help me. Was so this, I knew I had to go. Was this during the... Um I know at that at that time, blacks may have not been that accepted. Um, may have been a minority in that community. Well, let me see. This would have been uh, around 19... Debbie was born in 61. Mm -hmm. So, right. 1960. So, this was the beginning. But meantime, but meantime, you know, a lot of the Jews right. had moved yeah. out, and the Schwarzes had moved in, mm -hmm. and it was not a place to be. So I just took my little girls, got on a plane, came to San Diego. And that was the beginning of that. Okay, Debbie was, Milton came back from Europe mm -hmm. as Debbie was born. Mm -hmm. And then she was a few months old and he went back. And at this time, now he started to say he was very lonely. Uh, this was not what he wanted. Uh, he was just going to come back and go to chiropractor school. And, I, and at that time, I had said... Um, too much water has gone under the bridge. And I said to him, just don't do anything until you hear from me. Well, this is the crazy things. You know, God up there, Annie down here, God figures it out. At that time, people don't do things like this. But I, I put through a person-to-person -person call to the dean, you won't believe this, to the dean of the medical school at UCLA. UCLA was a young, school, fairly young school at that time. This mm -hmm. is, you know, the dean of the medical school. Now, who does that? I don't know. And who answers the phone? The dean of the medical school. These things don't happen. No, they don't. They have assistants. They have, you know. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. He's talking to me. I'm talking to him. I'm telling him my, hus my husband is a great guy. And somehow, I don't know how this happened. But he said to me, did your husband take the nationals? And I said, no, but he took the basic science of things, which is actually hard. Mm -hmm. It's Again, this is, right. and, and I said, and he scored through the roof. And um, the dean of the medical school says to me, would he be willing to go back to third year? You know, metaphor. Right. And I said, yes, he would, because the German system was going to drag Long. I said, oh, yes, of course he would. Mm -hmm. And again, God and Annie, it seemed like there were three people in the class that had suddenly decided to go into research. So there, there, there was an opening in the class. And the dean says to me, if your husband is as good as you say he is, 
and if he could get his records to me by such and such a date, we will interview him. Now, that doesn't happen, mm -hmm. but that happened. I sent Milton a cable telling him this is what happened. He says to somebody, a buddy of his, if anybody else has sent me this, I would say that person start raving crazy. He says, but since Annie sent this to me, <laughs> maybe it's true. So this was the other side of the story, you see. In Germany, he didn't have a transcript like we have here. He had the student. Okay, now, if, the, if he applied from Germany and was not accepted by UCLA, the Germans would say, oh, and you're not good enough for your country, then we don't want you either. So this was like being in Vegas. Right. Okay, he had to go and figure out how to get some kind of transcript. And he had to go all the way to the, it, that's a long story. But again, Milton was Milton. And he got that. And he got home. And I, Debbie was just born at the time. And I went with him. I drove with him to UCLA. And he went for his interview. Well, they interviewed him. And they said, you know, you don't get to, you know, and they said to him, you know what? Wait outside in the hallway because we're going to call you for a second interview. Then this doesn't happen. It only happens to us. Mm -hmm. They called him, and then when he was walking out after this, the dean said to him, we don't usually tell people this, but you're in it. That doesn't happen, but it happened to us. Right. So at that point, Milton moved. Uh, we were in San So Milton went to UCLA and graduated from UCLA, and that's how the story continued. And then he practiced in San Diego uh, for quite a number of years. And that's where um, Debbie was born, Joey was born, and Max was born in San Diego. And of course, with Milton, there was always the Israel, 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 Israel. And uh, so Debbie was in day school. We, we were instrumental in starting the day school in San Diego. And it just evolved, evolved, evolved. And then there was the hippies, and I didn't like what was happening with Emily. And somehow, at that point, I said, okay, we'll go to Israel. Max was nine months old. Mm -hmm. Now, Max is an interesting story, because, see, Max was born in San Diego. And in those days, you get a Mexican maid for $25 a week. Right. And that was the name. that Everybody had one. Mm -hmm. You had to have a space for them. But they come cross the border illegally, naturally, and stay two weeks and go back. If they were lucky, they'd come back. Otherwise, they wouldn't come. So that was that story. So Max had a, I was going to say myth of Helen. So he had a Mexican girl that she was, she loved him. And I, again, was working with Milton mm -hmm. in his office. And uh, so he had, so then, of course, we, we were going to Israel. And we were going to this old pun, and that's a long story in itself. When Max got to Israel, and we were at the old pun, there was a lady from Morocco who sort of was his mythopelon. So here he, he grew up with the Spanish. There was the Spanish lady who spoke, of course I spoke English. Mm -hmm. And this, so the first nine months of his life, he heard Spanish, like every day. So when he got to Israel, it was the Moroccan lady who spoke French and Arabic and, and Hebrew. Right. So that's what he heard. And, and so Max, so my other kids all were early speakers. Max did not talk. Mm 
and uh, he was like 14, 15 months old, and he's saying maybe he had a hearing problem, but he didn't sound like a he didn't sound like a child that had a hearing right. problem. Mm -hmm. When he was 20 months old, he spoke fluently in English. And when you talk to him in Hebrew, he spoke fluently in Hebrew. And who knows what else was in his head. Mm -hmm. But that was the story of Max. And Max would say, tell to me the story of Cinderella. You know, anyhow. So we were there during the 73 war. And uh, it was a horrible time. Milton was the civilian doctor who took care of all of the settlements in the north. He was on Korahanasi, mm -hmm. which was right up in the north. He was right under the Golan. Mm -hmm. um, that's a story in itself. Emily tried to volunteer in Svat as a as a tech, you know, because mm -hmm. she yeah. sometimes used to help him in his office. Mm -hmm. uh, Linda was helping in a nursing home. Um, Debbie was like 12 years old. Those kids were delivering mail. Uh, so all your kids were helping people. Every you had no choice. Everybody was helping. You know, Max was a tiny little yeah. kid, and and he was asleep. It was mm -hmm. Yom Kippur, mm -hmm. and I heard the siren going off, and I would think, oh, there must be something wrong with the electrical system. Mm -hmm. You know, Israel. I don't care if you're religious or not religious. Yom Kippur is dead. Mm -hmm. And I think oh, something has happened to electrical. And suddenly I start to hear radios, mm -hmm. um, and um, thinking, what on earth is going on? And then I start to see cars, because you mm -hmm. don't see that on your... Mm -hmm. And Emily comes rushing into the house, she says, we've been, we've been attacked, you know. And uh, that was the 73 war. And it was a horrible time, it was a horrible time. Because I don't know what you know about Israel, I don't know what you know about Golda Meir. Golda Meir, my dad told me quite a bit about her. Okay, she was a communist, mm -hmm. she was a Barack Obama mm -hmm. uh, thing. They used to call her the Yiddish Mama. She was a nightmare. She, you know, first of all, the Abba Eben, which we call the, the mouth without a brain, mm -hmm. who said, oh, the option of war doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And uh, meantime, the Egyptians have 10,000 troops on one side for Suez. And uh, this guy, Elazar, who ended up taking the hit and got a heart attack, mm -hmm. he wanted to have an air raid strike. Mm -hmm. At that time, Goldie Mayer didn't allow it because she right. said, oh, we will lose the sympathy of the war. And Israel hadn't bothered right. preparing anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, so instead, we lost about 3,000 boys. We had 300 people on the bar lev line mm -hmm. that they immediately wiped out. Right. The boys in the Hermon didn't even have the right clothes. Well, that That's like the, the northern point, the Mount, Mount Hermon. Oh, yeah. Mount mm -hmm. yep. They mm -hmm. didn't have clothes. The boys had to drive, they had to drive the tank carriers to mm -hmm. the Suez because Israel hadn't, it was a horrible time. You didn't call any family because everybody was hit. Whomever you'd call, you said, oh God, no. You know, my Emily made 15 shiva calls in one afternoon. She was a Tel Aviv union, like all of her friends. So that's the way it was. That's why when we talk about give back, there's no give back. And I know what it took to take the Golan. I know what it took, you know. So, so anyhow, it was after the war mm -hmm. that, you know, 
During the war, I thought we'd never leave. Mm -hmm. I really did. I thought we'd never leave. After the war, you have to realize that my husband, the Baytar Nick, said to me, you know, when the war broke out, I don't know if you've heard of Yoram Gaon. I have not. Okay, he was a very famous uh, star, singing star at the time. Mm -hmm. And he started to sing this song, and he was angry at me. Ani in Hebrew is, mm -hmm. I promise you, my daughter, this will be the last war. That was the song. Very beautiful song. Ani Okay. And it was, he, it was angry. And the Israelis were saying, they gave us a Yom Kippur, we'll give them a Teshuvah mm -hmm. There was anger. And, and then the UN was gloating. I listened to BBC, BBC was gloating. We were getting Shabbat. And uh, the UN, you know, and then one night I heard that Kissinger is on his way to Russia. Right. And Kissinger, I thought, yeah. thank God we've turned the tide. Because, you know, as soon as Israel starts to, to win, mm -hmm. then we need a ceasefire. Mm -hmm. And I remember Milton coming back and saying, when they give it all back again, mm -hmm. I have two choices. Either to go underground, sort of not to be a terrorist, but right. or to leave. At that point, I was out. Mm -hmm. I said, no, I've had it. Um, to give you, I remember at one point me saying, I'm not going to let those Arabs get to me. And I was with Max. I took my little Max, and I went. You know, they they have a lot of little stores. It's not like you know, it's not yeah. like. You know. So I went to this this makeup place, you know, mm -hmm. and I you know, buy makeup because those Arabs are not going to get to me. And uh, the owner of the store says to me, "So how many children do you have?" And I say, five. She says, "Call Uncle Bola." So when you lose three, you'll still have two. And to me, that was like getting hit on the head with a brick. And then people would stand at the graves of their children and say, it's our, it's our uh, fate that our boys will live till 20. You know, and I was starting to think, no, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. You know, there was karma. But it took its toll. Yeah. Because when Milton and I came back, we decided to go to Muncie because we thought, well, it's a Jewish place. They have a Jewish school. Oh, what a mistake that was. Muncie is a covenant community. You know what Muncie is? Muncie, is that's in... Um, it's in New York. It's New in York, Rockland yeah, County. It's super, super, super from, mm -hmm. super Hasidic, and it's become more Hasidic. And, oh, we did not belong in Muncie, New York. But that's where we went. And my husband, like his whole raison d'etre mm -hmm. was destroyed had a massive, massive, massive nervous breakdown. Massive nervous breakdown. And that lasted a number of years. I didn't know, really, was ever gonna work. I, I, that was a horrible time for us. And uh, I won't go into the whole story about, uh, I think at one point he, he said, and the only way he'll, he's gotta get out of there. And that's when we came to Atlanta. And Atlanta, 
Milton, Milton became the director of the of the Georgia Regional Hospital. Mm-hmm. That that's what he came to Atlanta because right. they had an mm-hmm. opening and they hired him. Yep. So he came down there, and he was the director of that for a while. And then he opened his own practice, and of course he was amazing. Uh, you know, because Milton had so many eggs in his basket, mm-hmm. he got results that other people didn't get. And Milton is the person who brought alternative medicine to Georgia. And he took a lot of arrows because of That's it. That's where Max learned his... Uh, well, Max his, was exposed right. to, you know, homeopathy and mm-hmm. all the things that Milton did. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's why my whole family mm-hmm. thinks with a little different paradigm. You know, and of course, we thought Milton was going to live forever because he knew all these things. In fact, Milton, in a sense, saved my life. Because when I had cancer, which was 30 years ago, uh, I was operated on but one of the big movers and shakers at St. Joe's, and that was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they gave me, well, on one hand, you say he saved my life because I had colon cancer and it was not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they thought that the colon cancer had gone into the liver, but again, God wow. said, no, 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 she's not ready yet. And God's watching out for you. And I, he always does. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Um, and uh, well, they it definitely gave, does make sense. They it, gave it, me incompatible drugs, mm-hmm. and I won't go into all the details. Right. But they blew a hole through my brain, and uh, and uh, for a while I was paralyzed. Thank God for my husband. He he really pulled me out of it. And again, God pulled me out of it. Because at the time, they gave me two months to live. So here I am. Um, my own body encapsulated the cancer. Mm-hmm. And when they looked in the liver, they were all dead cells. There was no cancer cell. So here I am. Good. I, it was meant that's to be, amazing. Meant to be that I shouldn't have PCM. But anyhow, so that's the story of, you know, how we all have evolved. And meantime, the kids grew up and, mm-hmm. you know, and here we are. Thank you for listening to part one of our conversation with Miss Annie Freed on The Greatest Generation. I hope you enjoyed it. Next up is part two, if you can believe that. I spent some more time with Mrs. Freed several weeks later and asked her some more questions. You can hear that conversation next week on the third installment of The Greatest Generation. Until then, take care.